0: and welcome to another Cup of Joe podcast on this Friday, February the 23rd. And whenever you are listening to this, wherever you are, I wish you God's grace, I wish you God's life, I wish you God's goodness as we continue this Lenten journey, right? As we continue to move through this uh, 40-day period of uh, reimagining who we are and who we can be uh, as we present ourselves to our God uh, in the new waters of Easter as they come. Um, I hope your Lent is going well. I, you know, for those who listen on Apple Podcasts, for whatever reason, it you know, I drop the podcast every Friday morning, and, and it didn't drop until Sunday. I'm not sure what's going on. I may try to drop it now on Thursday nights if Apple is going to kind of hold it in its, you know, little you know, green room for 48 hours. I'm not quite sure what's going down. So we'll see if that's something on my end that I'm not doing well. They are dropping on other casts like Spotify. It drops right away. So we'll see what's going on there. Not sure if this has just been a two week bug or, or if something, if I'm doing something wrong. So I hope to get that fixed. My apologies for those who have been looking for it on Friday morning, and maybe you haven't been able to find it. Um, hey, we're gonna we're gonna break open our readings for this coming Sunday, second Sunday in Lent. We're gonna do something a little different. Normally, I read the first reading in the gospel. This week, I'm gonna read the second reading in the gospel. The first reading is a great story. You're gonna hear it this su- this weekend when you go to mass, um, and it's wonderful. But it carries a lot of baggage, it, it, and and so I'm just gonna kind of set it aside. I'm going to read the second reading, which is one of, really, if I had a handful of favorite readings, it would be on that handful, and I'll explain that, uh, and, and you're going to hear it. It's so good. And then our gospel, of course, is a very familiar story. So as we prepare ourselves to open ourselves to the Word of God, simply invite you, however you do that, to uh, get yourself ready, to open yourself, to allow God's Word to find a place within you, that it can reside and find a home, and from that place, it can begin, I love this this term, to infect all of us as yeast infects all of the dough and, uh, and allows it to become something new. Um, okay, so for those following along, our second reading will be Romans chapter 8, so Paul's letter to the Romans chapter 8, verses 31b, as in boy, 31b to 34, so pretty short reading, Uh, and then our gospel out of Mark. We know that because this is the year of Mark. But we have been entrenched in Mark chapter 1. We're going to go to Mark chapter 9, verses 2 to 10. So let's break open God's word. A reading from the letter of Paul to the Romans. Brothers and sisters, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but handing him over for us all, how will he not also give us everything else along with him? Who will bring a charge against God's chosen ones? It is God who acquits us. Who will condemn? Christ Jesus, it is who died, or rather was raised, who also is at the right hand of God, who inter- indeed intercedes for us. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, you may have heard me chuckle a little bit after I read that. It's not because it's funny, but because it's a very difficult reading to read. It's it's filled with question marks, and it's and it's kind of awkward. Um, worth actually looking at that one, and I don't think I did a great job of reading it, so my apologies. But um, again, my friends, as as I always say, uh, forgive me for just you know, reiterating, but if there was an idea in there, If there was a word, if there was an image of God and and how God stands with us, sit with that because there's so much there, so much there, even in a poor reading like I just did. Okay, so let's go on to the gospel. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became dazzling white, such as no fuller on earth could bleach them. Then Elijah appeared to them along with Moses, and they were conversing with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus in reply, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He hardly knew what to say they were so terrified then a cloud came casting a shadow over them from the cloud came a voice this is my beloved son listen to him suddenly looking around they no longer saw anyone but jesus alone with them as they were coming down from the mountain he charged them not to relate what they had seen to anyone except when the son of man had risen from the dead so they kept the matter to themselves questioning what rising from the dead meant my friends the gospel of the Lord praise to you Lord Jesus Christ okay so where do we start let's start here remember last week we heard the story of Jesus being driven up by the Spirit into the desert right First Sunday of Lent, we talk about this 40-day Lenten retreat in a sense that we are on, um, and that Jesus himself needed 40 days to understand, I'll say fully, I don't know that that's a really correct way to say it, to understand what his mission was, to understand more fully, how about I say it that way, who he was and what he was invited to, just as this Lent invites us to do that. First Sunday Sunday of Lent is always always and forever, going to show us that story, Jesus going into the desert. Well, the second Sunday of Lent, always and forever, (laughs) shows us the transfiguration. It's the third that usually goes different directions. Um, But but, yeah, transfiguration story is in each of Matthew, Mark, and, and Luke, and they tell it all a little bit differently, but mostly the same, and that's what we heard. Okay, so let's start by breaking that open. What are we talking about here now it's important with this story uh, particularly in mark here that we understand the where remember we've been in mark chapter 1 but we jumped to mark chapter 9 now why is that important because jesus just revealed to the disciples the apostles the 12 in chapter 8 who he was right and uh basically um Sends them out by two, they come back, uh, and it's the, the who do you say I am? I mean, that's Matthew, so I'm kind of taking Matthew in there. But ultimately, reveals to them that he is Messiah. Um, and ultimately, that uh, comes back, and uh, they don't have a good understanding of what that means. They, they think it means, hey, this is wonderful, we're on the winning team, Jesus is going to be, uh, he's going to kick the Romans out. We're going to reclaim uh, Israel as a kingdom, and Jesus will be king, and we will be in the cabinet. We'll be in the court. This is great. We chose well, okay? That's the understanding. It wasn't just the 12. that was the common understanding at the time of what Messiah brought with it. Okay, why is that important? It's very important. Uh, because Jesus then takes his inner circle, Matthew, Mark, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, Peter, James, and John, <laughs> takes Peter, James, and John with him up the mountain. What other time does Jesus take Peter, James, and John with him up on a mountain? Well, it's going to be on the Mount of Olives, right? This is Mount Tabor, uh, which is up north in, uh, in, in Galilee. Uh, the Mount of Olives, of course, is right outside Jerusalem, and he's going to take them up there on the night that he is betrayed. Um, which again fulfills what's happening here. How, how is that, Joe? Okay. So he takes them up this mountain. His clothes become dazzling white, right? Like no bleach uh, can could make them on earth. And Moses and Elijah appear. Why do Moses and Elijah appear? Because they represent the law and the prophets. That's, that's the foundation of the scriptures for the Hebrew people. Uh, Moses, of course was said to have written the five books of the law, the first five, the Pentateuch, that, that which uh, Jewish society revolved around. That was the most sacred writings to them. And then, of course, Elijah represents the prophets, the prophetic idea. Not only Elijah, but I, Isaiah or, or Jeremiah or Ezekiel or, or any of the prophets. So Jesus is steeped in the the Hebrew people in the Jewish uh, tradition and he is dialoguing, discussing. You know, he's not just having a conversation like, hey, you know, what do you have? Do you have some grapes for, for breakfast today? He's ta- What he's doing, and, and he's got Peter, James, and John with him, is he's showing that what Messiah is, uh, it, it goes along with, it merges well into the understanding in the law and the prophets that the Jewish people he as as messiah will fulfill what came before okay that's that's the setting we're in of course imagine yourself in peter's role in james' role and john's role and seeing jesus all of a sudden become transfigured and these other two apparitions just appear and they're talking together you and i'd be terrified as well peter doesn't know what to say he puts his foot in his mouth which is you know not atypical um, and Peter says to Jesus in reply in reply to what in reply to the very happening that's going on. Hey, rabbi, it's good that we're here. He's like inserting himself in the conversation. It's like, Peter, just watch, just watch and learn, but no, nope. Oh, nope. Pete's got to say something. Hey, Hey, it's good that we're here too. You know, we're going to make three tents for you. You guys just keep going on conversing. We're, we'll make three tenths over here again, and I've said this before, and I won't go into it a lot now, but that idea that we're going to, you know, we love being up here. This is the place of victory. This is the place where we see who you are. This is the place where, like, we want to stay. We want to reside. We're going to make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. This is great, which is an incredible misunderstanding, right, of what what Jesus is trying to tell him, and two, what, our, what we look for, maybe in our faith, yeah, we're going to have days, my friends, in our faith journeys, that we're on a mountaintop, that we feel like that closeness to God is present, and we want to stay there. But that's not where faith is lived. It's not lived there. We can't reside there. We can't make tents there and just hang out. Faith is lived on the, on the downside of the mountain, and that's where it gets very difficult, Okay. I'm going to come back to that. I'm going to come back to that. But that's, we have mountaintop experiences so as when we live 90% of our life, 98% of our life on the, on the bottom side of the mountain, that we are strengthened in those moments. Okay. Peter doesn't know what he's saying, says it terrified. This cloud comes over them. This cloud of faith, this cloud of unknowing. I love that image, brothers and sisters. We think faith should be certainty. It's not. I've talked about that before. Faith is faith. It means we're given clues. We're given ideas. We're given glimpses. We're given just the the, the quickest visions. And then they're taken away from us and we need to walk by them. Right, Mother Teresa had a vision on a train when she was—I mean, forgive me—I didn't research this—but she was like 30 years old, going in one direction. She had a vision on a train in India that changed her life forever. One time, one time, but that vision was so strong, and it was taken away from her after that. It was so strong she lived her life in a different way the rest of her life in faith that that one moment showed her where she needed to be brothers and sisters that's what faith is and this cloud comes over us and we feel like we don't know where we're going no less than peter james and john and we're scared because we think we're doing it wrong but brothers and sisters our god has given us those glimpses in order in inviting us out of our place of being in a tent and and residing comfortably and staying status quo into a journey into a movement based on that faith other thing i'll say and and then i'll go to the to the romans reading is is this okay out of this cloud right comes the voice of god which sounds pretty familiar it says listen it doesn't say listen he says this is my beloved son listen to him all right doesn't that sound familiar we have the baptism of Jesus, not six weeks ago, eight weeks ago, where Jesus comes up out of the water, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and the the voice of God says, "This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased." So you might think, "Oh, that's all God says." He just says, "Hey, this is my beloved Son," you know, and and that's the point that He's pointing to Jesus. Well, I think the fact that He's you know all of a sudden transfigured, talking to Moses and Elijah, that that does a pretty good job of that. The difference. See the difference. Hear the difference. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. That's what it says at the baptism. At the transfiguration, it says, this is my beloved son. Yep, you're right. It is. It's still him, okay? Listen to him. What is that pointing to? It's pointing to the fact that he talked about what Messiah is, but that Messiah, the the understanding of Messiah is not your understanding, Pete, James, John. It's, It's not kingship. It's not we're going to rule. It's not we're on the winning team. It's going to look like we lost. It's going to look like defeat. It's going to look like crucifixion. It's going to look like suffering. And when Jesus says that and you kick back, you push back on that, you're not listening. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Meaning, when he's pointing the way, follow, listen, trust, walk in faith. he says the same thing to us too. Listen, certain political candidates can say, we're going to win and win and win. All we're going to do is win. That's simply not the gospel. That's simply not the gospel because that's not where it invites us. It invites us to faith. It invites us to trust. It invites us to follow, but it invites us to the bottom of the mountain where there is going to be hardship and there's going to be struggle. And there are going to be days we do not win, okay? And maybe God is found in those two. I want to go back to this Romans reading uh, because, again, it's way too good not to. Um, and, and that first line, so this is Romans 8, brothers and sisters. And you know I just can't leave it here. Uh, but but I, I, I want to, crazy language, and, and we can easily lose it. But the first line, if God is for us, who can be against us? Well, there's two answers to that. The first is, many people can be against us. Listen, God was for Jesus. We knew that. This is my beloved son. Listen to him, and we know what happened. If God is for us, who can be against us? Many on those days when we are feeling low and down. Do not feel in in following Jesus that we walk between the raindrops and we will be unharmed or there will not be people against us. There will be by virtue of who we are in the world because the world does not want to see that. But on the other hand, what Paul is saying. More importantly, is listen, if God is for us, does it matter who's against us? Because you got God on your side, right? And, and really, that's all that matters. And on those days when we are struggling, on those days when we're not struggling, isn't that what we want to know? On those days when those voices in our head get the best of us and try to tell us that we are not who we are, are, are that we are children, or beloved of God. Those days we try, that they try to say we we're a screw-up or we failed or, or, or whatever it is, and we all hear them and we all have them. This is Paul reminding us, my friends, God is on your side. God is on your side. God is for you. What do these other voices have to say that are more important than that? Nothing. Nothing. And then he goes on to present a courtroom drama, which is great. And again, it can get lost in the the crazy language. So so he asks the question, if God is for us, who can be against us? He, meaning God, who did not spare his own son, but handed him over for us all? He, how will he not also give us everything else? Right? Meaning, Will God be against us? How is that possible? He's the one who gave his own son, handed him over, and gave us everything besides. How's God going to be against us? So he's taking God off the table. He's saying, no, God is not against you. There's no there's no doubt about that. And then he says, okay, if God's for us, who who's going to bring a charge against us, meaning God's chosen ones, meaning you and I and the disciples then and all that? Who's going to bring the charge? Who's going to be the prosecuting attorney before the judge, who is God, who's going to have a, a case that says, oh yeah, these guys are, are pretty bad. Who's going to do that? It is God who acquits us, who's already acquitted us and won't condemn us. It's Christ Jesus who rather who, who died, who rather was raised, who was also at the right of hand of God, who intercedes for us. He's our defense attorney. Who's going to bring a charge against us who's going to stand when God is the one who has already acquitted us, who is on the stand, who loves us, who's gave us everything, who is, who's for us, and Jesus is our defense attorney standing. What, what voice can we possibly worry about? So brothers and sisters, on those days when we are going under, for whatever reason, and we are feeling overwhelmed, and we feel like, um, we have made poor choices, and you know what, sometimes we do, and, and we are ashamed of them, and we feel like, uh, I'm not worthy, uh, or, or, worthwhile, um, Brothers and sisters, th- these are good readings to remember. Life isn't lived on a mountaintop. We're going to blow it. It's okay. Because you know why? None of that changes our belovedness. We're called to act in faith, not certainty, which faith can be a very foggy, gray cloud of unknowing. And sometimes we make poor, poor steps. But that none of that, none of that stops God from being for us or Jesus defending us. If we were to keep reading Romans chapter 8, that's just the beginning. It's so good, right? This is Romans chapter 8, start at 31 and keep reading. But I'm going to read a little bit because, again, okay, but, but Joe, you don't understand. I've screwed up really bad, and so maybe God isn't for me. So then listen to what Paul says. What will separate us from the love of Christ? Okay, is there anything you can do that's going to separate you from the love of Christ? Will anguish or distress or persecution— or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or the sword. No, he says, no. In all these things we conquer overwhelmingly. For I, Paul, is convinced. Listen to this. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor present things, nor future things, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord do you get it? Nothing, nothing you can do will separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. But if Paul were here, I would argue there is one thing we can do that will separate us. And that is extending our arms, palms out, saying, God, I do not desire your forgiveness. I do not desire you in my life. I'm not good enough for your forgiveness. And therefore, I need to keep you at arm's length. To the extent that we do that, that we say we are unworthy or are not worthwhile, or God, you don't understand fully, and I keep God away from me that I don't accept, I reject the forgiveness and the mercy and compassion of God. I think that God, I think that God in God's courteousness, to use Julian of Norwich's term, honors that, but weeps, but weeps. Brothers and sisters, make sure you don't separate yourself from the love of God because nothing else will. And when I say you don't, I don't mean through actions that we've made. We're all doing those. Um, But allow yourself to be forgiven. Allow yourself to become anew. Allow yourself to be transformed and transfigured uh, into that new place through the mercy, love, life, and love of our God. Okay? This is good stuff. This is good, good news. And so, my friends, let's uh, bring that to prayer, shall we? The second sorrowful mystery, the scourging at the pillar. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Uh, as we broken have have broken open god's word that is an honor for me to be with you in this moment have a wonderful week your second week of lent be well my friend